Hey, welcome back to this third installment of what we're calling Lift Ticket. And this is what we're doing if you just are, are joining us. We're trying to identify some filters to kind of put our, th- our decisions through so that we can make better decisions. Like we're on top of a mountain, about to go down a mountain, and we want to make sure we end up kind of the, in the right place. And we're, that's what we're doing. We're comparing skiing or snowboarding to decision making because there's a, there's a truth in both of them that, um, you know, they take us someplace. And we want, the question is not, are we going down the mountain? We are going down the mountain. The, the question we're trying to kind of look at is, how do we want to go down the mountain? And in what shape do we hope to be in when we get there? So we've been looking for this. Um, what's a better way to live our life? And even beyond that, what is, how does God want me to live my life? What's God's plan for my life or will for my life? You can say it a whole bunch of different ways. But um, I'm trying to make good decisions so they take me to the place that I want to be. And hopefully that's the same place God wants me to be. And there's one key Bible verses or something like that we've been looking at. They're, they're in your program if you want to kind of follow along. Uh, we've looked at them every week uh, this month. It looks like this. Be very careful then how you live. Careful how you, you walk and about the choices you make. Not as unwise, but as wise. You should have this memorized by now. We've done it so much. Making the most of every opportunity. And here's why. The days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, if if our ultimate goal in life, or tonight anyway, is that we want to figure out, what is it you want for me or from me, God? Paul says this, the Bible says this, be careful. That's what he wants. He wants you to be careful about how you live, about about the choices you make. And don't make foolish choices. Make make wise choices. And here's why. Because time is ticking away. That's what we looked at last week. The fuse is burning down. And once, once the time is gone, you don't get it back. And there's a lot at stake. These aren't like bunny hill decisions that we're trying to make. These are big black diamond ones, so... So choose. Don't choose what's easy. Don't choose what's uh, popular. And don't even choose what's normal, what everybody else is choosing. Choose wisely. So if you want to fill in the blanks to kind of catch up where we've been over the last couple of weeks. Last week, uh, we added to this. But on week one, we, here's the first filter we landed on. What does this decision say about how I value God? So I'm going to make a decision. The first filter I'm going to put, whatever decision is, is if I make this decision, how does it value God? Meaning this, what is it I, I believe to be true about God? What, how, what do I think God is like? What do I believe God is like? What's important to God? What do I really believe that God promises to do? And, and do I believe he'll actually do it? And not only do I believe it, uh, do I trust it? Then what does my decision, if I do that or don't do that, say about how important that belief system is in, in my life? That's what we looked at even the first week with Scott. He says there's this concept called worship. And every day the way we live our lives is a statement of how much... God is worth to us, how important he is in in our life. So the statement, uh, what is the statement you're hoping to make by uh, this decision you're making? Not about what you believe, because we all believe a lot of stuff. If you do this, what does it say about how important it is, how how valuable your belief system is in, in your life? Then last week we looked at filter number two, if you want to fill in the blank here. What's this decision say about how I value other people? Meaning this is that no matter what, whatever decision I make, it will fall on somebody else. It will affect the people around me. And typically, those are the people standing closest to us, our family, the, our, our, our closest friends. The question is not, will this you know, tell them how valuable they are? It, it absolutely will. The question is, is that, what you were, is that what you were hoping to communicate? You will communicate value. Is that the value you were kind of hoping to communicate? And last week was kind of an aha moment for us, at least for me, because you have to sit in here and admit... I tell a lot of people, the people closest to me, my family, my kids, my parents, whatever, I tell them all the time they're, they're valuable to me. But if I sit back and kind of look over the last week or month or, or the last several years, I've been communicating something very different to them. They're, they're valuable, but 
just on how I'm living my life and the choices I'm making with my calendar and my time and my money, I'm, I'm actually saying something else is actually a little bit more valuable. See, there'll always be reasons why. This is where we landed last week. There'll always be reasons why and how comes I have to do this. I have to work more. I have to go over here. I can't be home tonight. And there will never be enough energy, you know, and time to do all the things that you want to do and to give everybody the, descent, the, the attention and, and, and uh, the time that they deserve. So we have to make choices, right? So we're just kind of throwing out this week. Well, let's make wise choices. We've been making all kinds of choices. What if we made wise choices? So filter number one is, what's this say about God? And filter number two kind of goes like this. You know, How is this going to affect the people standing around me? Tonight, I want to add one more. And there's, there's two more coming after this. But here, here's, here's tonight's. I'm standing on this mountain, and I'm about to make my decision, about to push off and go down the slope. And here's something that's really obvious, but I think I forget it a lot of times. Um, no matter what decision I make, no matter if I go to the left or the right, no matter what the conditions are on the trail today, here's the thing that every decision, no matter what I decide, it, they all have the same one thing in common. Me. Whether I choose to follow God, you know, in his direction or tell him to butt out of my life and I'm going to do what I want anyway. When I get to the bottom of the hill, um, I know someone's going to be there. Me. I'll be there. Whether you stick with me or dump me, whether people love me or leave me all alone. Uh, though none go with me, and I'm at the bottom of this hill, um, I do know this, is that I'm going to get in the car with me and go home. And when I get home, I'm going to look in the mirror, and I know who's going to be looking out back at me, me. And that's what I want to look at tonight. If, if our first filter was, what's this decision say about how I value God? And last week's decisions are about how, how I value other people. Today's filter, and you want to fill this in, goes like this. What's this decision say about how I value me? Now, before you cheer and go, it's about time someone asked that question, you know, because there's some people, they ought to value me more. I, I think, you know, I think I'm more valuable than what she's actually treating me. That, that's not what we're going to look at today. You know, it's not about should people or shouldn't people value you more. The question tonight is not even does God value you? I can just answer that for you. Yes, he does more than you could ever imagine. The question tonight I want to look at is how do you value you? How do you value you? How do you see yourself? And who do you want to be? The question is, if you do this or don't do this, what's it say about who you are? And is that who you really want to be? See, again, the question is not, does my decision make a statement about who I am? It does. The question, again, we're going to look at, is that the person that you really want to be? Is that the person you are? Now, let me clear something up that we're not going to answer tonight. I'm not going to ask, what is it that you want to do? When I grow up, I want to be a Fireman. I, when I grow up, I want to be a banker. When I, when someday I want to be a school teacher. That's not, we're not going to ask, what do you want to do? We're not going to ask that. The question is, um, who do you want to be? I love how Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he says it this way. We're, we're human beings, not human doings. And the real question behind the filter tonight is not, what should I do? The question is, who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? And does this decision, if I do this or don't do that, does it bring me closer to the person I want to be or take me further away? So you have to answer that question. Who am I? And who do I want to be? Because you know what? If you don't answer that, who cares what you do? If you don't know who you are and you don't know where you want to end up in your life and who you want to be, I mean, what difference does it make what you do? Because everybody's running around, what should I do? Should I, should I go to this college or this college? Should I do this career or this career? Should I marry this person? Should I stay married to this person? Should I divorce this person? Should I do this or that? And the truth is, you know what? There's probably a bunch of answers that all fit in the questions that you're going to ask about what you should do. And they're all God's will. You could answer with four or five different answers and they'd all be in God's will. But I think I can speak for God here. 
This is kind of dangerous, but this is really consistent with Scripture. God is far more interested in what you are than what you do. God is far more interested in building your character than anything else. Because you'll take your character with you into the next life, not your career. In the first week of this uh, series, Scott made a statement. If God wants you to do something specifically, he'll specifically tell you. And he'll make it so clear. There's no doubt. Oh, I'm pretty sure I know what he wants me to do. If God wants you to do something, he will let you know it. And over history, there have been times, we talked about this last week too, God has supernaturally told people, you need to take this job, you need to go over there, you need to marry this person, you, you need to wait right here. But again, that's never happened to me, ever. And maybe I'm missing something. But if I'm really honest, aside from the moral teaching that God gives all of us, I've never received a specific command from God, so specific that if I did, didn't do it, I'd be out of His will. It never happened. God's never told me that I was created to do one thing. But he has told me very specifically I was created to be one thing. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Now, to kind of understand that, I've got to give you one of those boring Bible history lessons, okay? So, you know, if, if you don't like history, go get some coffee and come back. But let me kind of set this up because it kind of puts everything in context. Every, every person on the planet, you and I, okay, people here, people in China, people in Afghanistan, whatever, every person on this planet has been created unique from all the other creation. God made his intent very, very clear. While everything he creates is good, there's one part of his creation that stood out above all the other creation. And he said, it's very good. And that's us. I mean, mountains are good and oceans are good and whales are good and trees are good and stars. Those, those are all good. But he says, there's, there's one part of my creation that's going to be very good. And the thing, that, the thing that sets it apart from all the other creation is that um, it bears my image. It bears my likeness. We were created in the image of God. I Meaning when he created people, he stamped himself into us. Unlike mountains and unlike the ocean and unlike birds and, and, and monkeys. Like that, he stamped his image into us. And all creation speaks to God. About the divine nature of God, about the power of God. But you and I are different than mountains and monkeys and whales. In that we were created to reflect the character of God. See, God's spirit, so are you. You're, you're going to outlast your body. You're going to outlast this world because you're spiritual, because God's spiritual, and he stamped that into you. God is intellectual, and so are you. We think, we reason, we solve problems. We're creative, we're artistic, because God's creative. God's relational. That's why our highest, the most important thing in our life is the giving and receiving of love. You can take everything else away, but as long as I know someone loves me, I'm going to be okay. You take love away from me and give me the rest of the world. I'm telling you, my life is not going to be okay. And God is truth. And here's the thing is, whether you believe in God or not, you still have his image. You can say, I don't even believe in God. But you know what? Because you have God stamped into your soul, you look at hypocrisy and say it's wrong. You look at injustice and say it shouldn't be that way. You can discern right from wrong. And that's what makes us accountable to God because he stamped us into him. Now, here's the last part of that little history lesson. Even if I believe that, even if I believe there's a God and that he's spiritual and that he's reasonable and that he's relational and he's kind and good and loving. And even if I believe that I was created to be like him, um, something happened between then and now that I am nothing like him. Right? I mean, something has happened that's distorted or damaged the image of God that I'm supposed to be projecting. I'm just not doing it very well. And I'm looking around the room. You guys aren't either. It's, it's just hard. Something has happened between then and now that says... I'm like God. The Bible calls it, this is, this is the Bible, the churchy part of tonight, all right? The Bible calls it sin. 
It comes from a Greek word. It didn't have anything to do with God. It's actually a Greek word called harmartia. And, and the Bible ripped it off from an archery class. You, you shoot an, art, uh, an arrow at a target. And if the, if the arrow kind of fell short of the bullseye, that was called a, a sin. It fell short of the, the target. The Bible says that everybody on the planet, whether you've tried or not tried, you have kind of fallen short of uh, the bullseye, reflecting what God wants us to be. So God has two choices after we sin. Choice number one is he can cut his losses and just get rid of us. All right? Which is a lot, a lot, a lot of people think he does. Oh, you messed up. You're going to hell. That's, that's, that's it, okay? You have messed up. You are, you are out of here. That's choice number one. Or, because God is love, he has another choice. He could do whatever it takes to restore the image of God back into us. Because he's loving, he chose whatever it takes to restore the full image of God back into us. That's why he sent Jesus so what's the full image of God look like? This is easy. Write this down. What the full image of God looks just like Jesus. Fill in the blanks here. This is what the Bible says. This isn't me making this up. Look at what the Bible says. It teaches about Jesus. It says that Jesus is the exact likeness of God. He's the exact likeness. You're going, what's God like? I don't know. Look at Jesus. He's like that. He's just like that. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. I can't see God. He's spirit. No one has ever seen God. He's invisible. So how do I know what he's like? He's, well, look at Jesus. He's like the visible image of the invisible God. And Jesus is the exact rep- representation of God's being. It's like, so if I could compare him to one thing to the other, what would, what would he represent? Well, look at Jesus. Read about Jesus. Read the stories of Jesus. Find out what Jesus was into and what was important to him and how he treated people. Then you kind of get an, an idea of that's what God's like and what we were created to be. If you want to see what it looks like for a person to walk around on the planet and reflect God perfectly, just look at Jesus. He did it the right way. And I tell you all that to tell it so this makes sense. God rarely tells us specifically what we're supposed to go do. Monday, you have to do this. He didn't tell me that very often. He does very specifically tell me what I was meant to be. And I want to read this out loud. This is out of a version called The, the Message, which is, a, is a kind of a paraphrase of the Bible in really modern language. Look at this. It comes out of Romans 8. And this is in your program too. This is awesome. This guy named Paul says this about, about what God's up to. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. And it literally translates from the before time began. He decided from the outset to shape, and the word is conform or mold, the lives of those who love him, that would be us, along the same lines as the life or the image of his son. Now, I love this. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. If you want to know what kind of man you're supposed to be, guys, look at Jesus. Ladies, if you want to know the kind of person that you were supposed to be, look at the character of, of Jesus. I don't know what you're supposed to do tomorrow. I don't know where you're supposed to go to college or who you're supposed to marry or whether you're supposed to get divorced or not tomorrow. That's not my deal tonight. God makes it really clear, though, who we're supposed to be. We're, we're, we were created to be like, like God, not to be a God. There's some religions out there saying, listen, you just keep on moving up the ladder and eventually you'll just be up there with him. That's not what it's saying. But to be like him. What's that look like? It looks like Jesus. I was created to be like Jesus. The, the purpose of my life is to take on more and more of the characteristics of Jesus. What was important to Jesus that becomes more and more important to me and his attitudes toward other people. Those are my attitudes. I, I'm meant to be in the image of Jesus. Again, God's goals for your life. are A lot of times we just put some really low bars for God out there. God, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to this college? You want me to wear this tonight? You want me to do this or be with this person? And, and I think we have to think higher. God, who do you want me to be? See, 
God's goal for your life is that when you look in the mirror, you like the person looking back at you. You can live with the person looking back at you. And the reason you like that person is because when you look at that person looking back at you, there's something in, in yourself that you go, you know what? I'm not there yet, but I'm becoming a little bit more like him. I kind of like living like that. So how do I get it? How do I become a follower? You know, I, I, how, do, how do I get the characteristics of Jesus? Because like, I want to be a man. You know, if I had a show of hands, would anybody like to be like Jesus? You know, no, he's too loving. No, no, no. I mean, I, I want to be like Jesus. I think I could speak for most of the room going, you know what? I don't know a lot about him, but he's a pretty cool dude. I think I'd, I'd like to do that. I'd like to love people, forgive people, treat people like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want people to describe, you're kind of like Jesus. That would be a cool way to be described. Well, how do I get that? Simple. You write this down because you'll forget. Are you ready? Follow him. Just follow him. When his first disciples, and the word disciple is a big religious word for one person that follows another person. That's all it means, all right? When the first disciples, when Jesus invited the first disciples to follow him, he didn't lay out a, you know, through the Bible in a year program. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he did. You know, he didn't say, well, you've got to go to 10 services, you know, a week or at least a month. And, and you have to do this and you have to go through these rituals and you had to, you know, you know, you wear different clothes and get cut your hair and not wear those kind of things. He simply said, hey, and he met these two guys by a lake. He says, hey, follow me. He says, follow me and, and here's what, here's it. Follow me and I'll make you something that you aren't currently. Just follow me. I'm not going to say we're going to read the Bible. I'm not going to say we're going to go to the Bible college or seminary. If you'll just follow me, at the end of following me, somewhere along the line, and I, you probably want to know when it happens, you'll just realize, you know what? I'm not who I used to be. He actually said this, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, right now, your whole life is about fish, fishers of fish. It's about your occupation. I am a fisherman. That's all I am. He says, you follow me and your, your, your life will become about something eternal. You still might fish for fish, but there'll be an eternal significance to it. You follow me. I'm telling you. You'll like where it takes you. And the first two guys to ever follow him, their names were Simon and Andrew. They were brothers. I don't think they had any idea where they were going. You know, I think we've spiritualized these two guys. I think, you know, I, I don't think they, they knew how the next three years would change the history of the world. I think they just went, uh, he's kind of cool. Uh, he's got something I want. Let's go. I really think they just looked at him and says, you know what? Hey, he's got something I want. They made a decision. They got up. They left what they were doing and they followed him. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you, you say that they, they followed him. They listened to him. They watched him. They tried to imitate him. They tried to say things like he said. They tried to p- treat people like, like he treated people. And you know what? After three years of just being around Jesus, they were nothing like him. I mean, I mean, think about it. All right. And, and you know Why? Now, I'm going to say something, and if you like walk out halfway through this little paragraph I'm going to read, you would yell, you'd stand up and go, blasphemer, you're a sinner. And if you only listen to the first half of what I'm going to say, you, you should go find another church, okay? Because what I'm about to say is going to sound really, 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 really bad, okay? So you've got to listen to the whole thing. You're like going, what's he going to say? All right, listen. All right? Here it is. Here's why hanging out with Jesus for three years didn't change their life. Ready? Because the teachings of Jesus aren't enough. Don't leave. Okay. Just hanging around and listening to Jesus and reading what Jesus said. It's not enough. I mean, listen, all right. After three years of being in the best small group in human history, I mean, really, I mean, we talk about small groups all the time. This, if this small group met in your living room, it'd be the best one ever. Okay. And, and if, if you had the best teacher ever, who, who leads your small group? 
God, wow, I'm coming, you know, all right? You, you wouldn't miss that small group, all right? And have the, the best moral example. I mean, who's the kindest person ever? Him. Who's the, the nicest person? Him. Who's the most forgiving person? Him. Who's the most loving person? And hanging around with this guy, he's the most patient person ever. After three years of being around the best Bible study, the best teacher, and the best group of friends a person could ever have, when faced with a tough choice, it fell apart. One, one, one guy said, yeah, I'll take a bribe. And then the next day, committed suicide. Another guy said, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'll die for you, Jesus. Uh, I don't even know him. Cursed, cursed the idea of even knowing him. And the other, the other guys, they just ran and hid. See, if good teaching and good role models and high moral example and being around a great group of friends could change your life, it would have already happened. Apparently, it takes more. I was a college student back in Tennessee. Um, this is about 25 years ago. And there's this country preacher, his name's Tommy Oaks, and if he came in here, he'd talk like this, and he had a big beard, and he looked like he just walked out of the hills, but he's the guy that led me back to Christ. I was saved when I was eight years old. I didn't start following him until I was like 19, 20 years old, and it's because this guy, he just talked in regular talk, and he looked at me when he said, hey, Jim, listen, church can't change nobody. Like, oh, no, no, I'm going to be a preacher. It's got, you know, no, no, church can't change anybody. I don't care how good the preaching is or how good the music is. And guilt can't change anybody. Trying harder can't change anybody, at least for long. The only thing, and I remember, I remember where I was. The only thing that can change a person is if Jesus would move inside him and start fixing stuff. That's the only thing that works. See, it's more than strapping on a WWJD bracelet and trying to imitate him. It's not about imitating him. It's about being inhabited by him. As the Bible puts it, Christ in you. If Christ was in you, that would be your only chance, your only shot, your only hope of reflecting the God that you were meant to reflect. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus looked at his friends, you know, right before he was arrested. And he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you. Meaning, they didn't understand this. Uh, later tonight, I'm going to be arrested. And then they're going to have a trial. And then I'm going to be crucified. And then they're going to put me in the ground. And then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. And I'm going to hang out with you for about six weeks. And then I'm out of here for 2,000 years and counting, all right? And they looked at him and went, no! Don't leave us! No, it's good I leave you. No, it's not. It's really not. It's not even really going that great now with you here. I can't imagine what it would be like if you left us. Please don't leave us, Jesus, because we won't make it. And Jesus responds. Look at this verse. He says, but I tell you the truth. It's... It is for your good that I'm going away. Again, I vote no, stay. I mean, if, you, if Jesus could come be your preacher, I mean, you like me, but hey, take the stage, buddy. You know, right? I mean, Jesus is better than me. It's, it's good for you that I'm going away. How? Because unless I go away, the counselor won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And another word for counselor, if you want to kind of write in the margins there, another word for counselor, the Bible says, is Holy Spirit. Do I talk about the Holy Spirit? I'm not your Holy Spirit. God is your Holy Spirit. Or another, another place the, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. See, Jesus makes you a promise. Hey, physically, I'm going back to heaven, all right? But spiritually, I'm coming back and I'm going to live not with you. I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to walk around you. I'm going to actually live in you. Because Jesus knows Jesus with you is all right. But Jesus in you is your only shot at having a changed life. It's your only hope. See, you can walk around the rest of your life trying to imitate Jesus and act like Jesus and ask, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus eat? Would Jesus eat that or drink that or wear that? Would Jesus listen to that band on his iPod? You know, go with it. You know, anyway, you know, here's what happens because it always happens. It's happened all my life. Somebody thinks they figured out what Jesus wouldn't, 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 wouldn't do. And they kind of point themselves judge and they walk around with a big finger going, um, Jesus wouldn't do that. And Jesus wouldn't wear that. And Jesus wouldn't drink that. And how can you say you love Jesus if you do things like that? 
Isn't that why you quit going to church? Because somebody says, if you don't fit into this mold, this clone, and you look like this, then you must not love Jesus. And you got fed up with it going, like, that's, that's not who I am. You know the hardest, most frustrating part about following Jesus is for me? There's another confession, all right? Um, I, I come to church all the time. I've come to church all my life, and I get all fired up, or I hear a song that makes me cry, or, or I go through a really hard time in my life, or I get busted, or I feel guilty for doing something. And, and in the middle of that, I, I kind of look up at God and say, okay, okay, I'm never going to do that again. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? Yeah, yeah. And you make a promise, and you, I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm never going to do that. Now, that's the last time I'm ever going to do that. that I mean, I'm not, that was it. That one. That was, that was. How many times have you told God that was the last time? You know, it's, it's on, on and on and on. And, and I lay in my bed, and I make promises to God. From this point on, I'm going to do this or not do this ever, ever again. And I mean it. By show of hands, who prayed? anybody prayed a prayer like that? Some of you are lying. Put your hand up. All right, all right, yeah. We've, we've, all, we've all prayed stuff like that. And here's the thing. I mean it. I really do for a while. And I, you know, I, I tell Scott, my spiritual life is kind of like Colorado weather. Just hang around five minutes. I'm sure I'll screw it up, okay? It's, it's, it's like I, 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 I do great for a while. And then I, I'm, not even, I'm not even trying or not trying. All of a sudden, I just start thinking about it. And, I th- you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I, or, or here's the other thing is, is I'm not even paying attention. All of a sudden I realize I'm doing it again. I'm like, oh, forgot. Or I, you know, I go a long time without doing whatever fill in the blank is. And then I kind of think to myself, well, I've, I've, I've had a good month. Just once wouldn't matter. Right, don't raise your hand on that one. All right. All right. And then I, then I just look back and I'll, I'll, I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm doing it again. And then I start all over again. Okay. But that was the last time, God. And I promise, I really mean it this time. And so I'm never going to do this and I'm going to do this. And if you'll do this and I, you know, and if you repeat that cycle a few, I don't know, a hundred times, eventually you just kind of go, screw it, I can't do it. And the reason I keep messing up, the reason that I keep doing these things, the reason I keep feeling like this is that is because it's who I am. It's what I am. And here's why I'm going to land this plane today, okay? Um, I'm going to throw this out. Maybe the reason I keep making bad decisions, lousy decisions, maybe the reason I keep screwing up my life and screwing up the people around me's life is because um, I got something backwards. See, in, in, my, in my past, or over the last 45 years of my life, I've let my past decisions and mistakes, the old tapes kind of playing in my head, tell me this is who I am. Based on what I've done in the past, you know, and I have this voice in my head, it kind of goes, remember what you did that one time or those hundred times or those thousand times? Remember what you did back in college? Remember back you did in high school? Remember what you did and what you think about and when no one's watching what you're, what you're looking at? Remember, remember that? It's because that's who you are. Maybe have that voice playing in their head. And I make decisions out of that. Based on what I've done in the past, that must be who I am. So therefore, this is what I'm going to do from now on. And you can apply it anywhere. Like sex. I've had 50, 50, sex 50 times with 10 different people. I guess I know what that makes me. What difference will one more make or 50 more make? So you decide out of that. Or addiction. I've been drunk so many times or high so many times or I've been addicted for so long. It's it's who I am. It's what I am. Why even try anymore? So you make your choice. Drink up. And we've all said it. We've all thought it. I failed so many times before. My last marriage didn't work out. What made me think that this one was going to be any different? I've never managed to ever quit anything before. I haven't been able to quit porn or overeating, lying or losing my temper. It's just who I am. We don't have to raise our hand. I think, I think I've nailed everyone in, in the room, right? 
I think everybody's toes right now are just bleeding. It's, it's who we are. Last week, I had one of the saddest conversations I've ever had because I was talking to this guy who took last week's filter about my decisions following other people and applied it totally wrong. Because he's an addict. And he's fallen off the wagon so many times. His decision was, I should just leave my family. They would be better off without me. Because this, you know, I, I, I do this, I go to my AA meetings, and then I get drunk again, and then I go back to my AA meetings. And you know what? I'm, it's, it's always going to be like this. It's who I am. I'm never going to change. And you know what? That's a lie. He's, he's listening to the wrong tape. He's, he's bought into the wrong lie. But what if, what if you reverse that? What if you weren't defined by your past? After Easter, we're going to talk about this for a month. What if you weren't defined by your past or your feelings? But what if you went back to filter number one? Because everything goes back to filter number one. What is it that you believe to be true about God? What do you think he thinks about you? How do you think he sees you? How does he define you? Because I'll tell you what the Bible says about you, according to him. He really likes you. He loves you. And he's forgiven you. And, and he says you have tremendous value and nobody, not even the old tapes playing in your head, has the right to accuse you or judge you based on past mistakes. And what if, I'm throwing this out tonight, right? What if you actually believe that God thinks about you that way, that you're perfect, that you're worthy, that you're important, that you're beautiful? And what if you could get to the point in your life where you says, if God thinks that's who I am, if God thinks that's what I'm worth, maybe I am. What if out of that you start making decisions? Because you know what? I don't think following Jesus is about, well, you can eat this, but you're not allowed to drink that. Or, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't wear that and you can't sleep with so-and-so and you have to do this and be in by nine or whatever. I don't know if that's what following Jesus is about rules and regulations as much as it's about asking Jesus to come and live inside of you and, and define your value. And then out of that, the do's and don'ts seem, seem to take care of, their, of themselves. So what if we begin to make our decisions not based out of what we've done in the past, or what we might do tomorrow. But what if we just start making decisions out of who God says we are? What if I really begin to believe that I really am not what my conscience says I am, or what my dad told me I was, or what my ex-husband or wife called me as they walked out of the room? What, what if I really begin to believe that I really am who he says I am? Would I make different decisions? Rather than letting my past drive everything. Aren't you tired of letting your past taint your future? It's just not fair. God never meant that, that to happen. What if our new filter is, this is who God says I am, and this is who I want to be. Now, this decision, if I do this or don't this, does it bring me closer to that or further away? Because I want to make decisions that bring me closer to the person I want to be and God wants me to be. And if it's not, then maybe I'm... Make a different decision. See, you know, earlier I said that the best Bible study in the world can't change your life, and it can't by itself. But, but how else and where else are you going to find out what God thinks about you? And how valuable you are? What He declares to be true about you? What He promises you? You know, the reason you need to read your Bible is not because it's a rule that all Christians have to read their Bible. It's just, when I read the Bible, I hear God's voice. When I read stories, I hear, oh... I'm not alone. Oh, you love me. Oh, you'll forgive me again. Oh, you'll give me strength when I'm, when I'm really, really weak. I read my Bible not because it's a Christian rule. I just hear his voice better when I do. Or, or uh, going to church, you can go to church every night of the week and it won't change your life. But the truth is Jesus knows that sometimes sitting in here, right, you just feel him. Or you just hear him a little more clearer. I can't 
explain it further than that. Jesus just knew. And, and this whole guilt thing, um, God gave us guilt just to get our attention. But it can't change your life. And he never intended you to carry guilt around for a long time. See, studying God's word and going to church and, and guilt, they all have their place, but none of it can do anything on its own permanently compared to the most important thing. And I'm just going to throw out one do. Everything has been a be. Who do you want to be? There is one do I'm going to throw out tonight. Inviting the spirit of Christ to come and live in you. That's a do. And only you can do that. Your grandma can't do it for you. Your priest can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your, your wife can't pray it into you. You have to have your own conversation with God and say, hey, would you come live in me and forgive me and give me a new definition of who I was supposed to be? Because until you do that, you'll never be who you want to be. So all the filters come back to number one. I'm done. What do you believe to be true about God? Do you believe you are as valuable as as he says you are? Do you believe that you matter to him? Do you believe that he loves you and has nothing to do with your past history, your past mistakes, but you're valuable simply because he loves you and lives in you? Filter number two, yeah, your decisions will fall on the people around you. Don't you think it would be the wisest and most loving thing you could ever do for them to start seeing yourself as God sees you? I mean, you want, to be, you, want to, you want to be a better father. You want to do parenting better. You want to do marriage better. You got to be a different person. The most loving thing you could ever do for them is be the person, be the man, the wife, the person that God wants you to be. And the only way that'll ever happen is if you ask God to come and live inside of you. Not just teach you, not just guide you, but be in you. So based on who you are, not what you've done, but who God declares you to be, the person you were meant to be, when you're faced with a decision this week, does it bring you closer to that person or further away? None of it's possible until you do one thing. And we're going to give you a chance to do that tonight. We don't do this very often if you're just visiting. You know, we just say if you want to do it anytime you can. But um, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. And again, nobody can do this for you. This is your deal with God. If you've never asked Christ to come and live in you, you've asked him to bail you out of stuff. You've asked him to give you strength for stuff. You've asked him to fix some stuff. You've asked him to ignore some stuff. You've done, you had a lot of conversations with God, but you've never, ever asked him just to come and live in you. Um, I promise you, I, I don't promise, I'll tell you what he promised. He promises that if you'll ask him, he'll come. So if you want to do that tonight, and by the way, uh, if you do that, that makes you a follower. It also means that all your sins go away. Because he can't move in where there's sin. So he just forgives everything and moves in. And that can happen in the next 30 seconds. Not because you do something special, but because you accept what he already did for you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to kind of lead us in prayer. But you have to have your own conversation with God. and um, Just ask him. Just see what he says. See what changes in your life. Let's, let's do that. God, I come to you tonight. There's a lot of us in this room. We've already had our conversation with you. I did when I was eight years old. Um, I remember, and I, I asked you to come and live inside of me. And, and I kind of squished your way down into a corner all through high school and most of college. And, and then a country preacher got my attention because you spoke through him. So, God, tonight, I, I just pray that that would be someone's moment. That they would just say, hey... Jesus, will you come live in me? Because I know what I've done and I know what someone told me I am. 
And I know how valuable some other people have told me I do or don't have. But I got these old tapes playing in my head that accuse me all the time and remind me of all my failures. And I keep living up to that. So I need a new start. I need some forgiveness. I need a new name. I need a new chance. I need a new heart. I need a do-over. And so, Jesus, would you come and live in me tonight and for the rest of my life? Um, I want to follow you. And uh, I don't know where it's going to go. Like those two guys that were sitting by a lake and you walked up to him and just said, follow me and I'll turn you into something different. Um, All I know is that you have something that I want. And so I'm asking for you to come and live in me. And wherever that leads us, um, here we go. Thank you for loving us and forgiving us and rushing into us at, at the least little invitation. You're a good God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.